0: That there is a real thing called heaven and there is a real thing called hell. These are not abstract concepts. They're very real places. There's a pillar of, of holiness. What does it mean to be holy? And, and I think we need to get that right because the, that's, that's one of the attributes, one of the few attributes of God that he has given to man. He said that God is holy. But the verse says, be ye holy. Because he is holy. So we gotta get that right. Because if we don't get it right, we're we've lost, we've got to get the foundation of worship. What does it mean to worship? There's some other ones that we'll hit. But if you look at the book of Revelation, and, and I'm not gonna preach from Revelation uh, today, but I, I just wanna clue you in on the very first verse of Revelation chapter one. We look at the book of Revelation as an apocalyptic book. It's got a lot of weird things in it, and I'll be honest, it does. I mean, it's a lot of figurative language. It's it's a lot of of chaos and, and, and catastrophe and plagues and all of that. But if you want to know how to understand the book of Revelation, you start in the book of Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't even have to go any further. Everything that happens in the book of Revelation happens to reveal God's glory. I, I could take you, and, and I'm just trying to build something for a moment. I could take you to Revelation chapter 4 and, and, and look at the first couple of verses, and it says that John said, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. When you get to heaven, you're only going to find one throne, and you're only going to find one par- person, if I could use that phrase, on the throne. Why? Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. But Jesus, this, this... God that's invisible and all-knowing and all-power, he looked at mankind from the very beginning and realized that man has sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm going to let you be seated because I'm going to hit a lot of verses today, and uh, I, I, I'm, I, I, I need you to, to just pay attention. I could hit just a few verses, but I want to show you the overwhelming uh, weight of Scripture as it comes to salvation. It's that question that was asked on the day of Pentecost when Peter got done preaching and 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 you, you can see him, it's probably in my mind he, he's been preaching and he takes a breath and from the back of the crowd the voice is raised. Someone asked, I've heard you preach, what must we do? If I could give you Brandon Buford's version of, that, of what that verse says someone was saying I've heard you preach that we're, we're, we're sin I've heard you preach that we messed up what do we do to be saved how must we be saved it's the same question that was posed in Acts chapter 16 when the prison keeper asked of Paul and Silas after the earthquake came and released them he looked them in the eye and he said sirs what must I do to be saved? This question has to be asked by everybody that's ever walked the face of this planet. At some point, you're going to have to answer that question, what must I do to be saved? That question has been asked from the very beginning of time, and it will continue to be asked until God calls us home. The answer is very clear. God has always provided a way of salvation For mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned. He provided them with the sacrifice of an innocent animal. That clothed the nakedness and the shame of their bodies. And covered them. When Cain sinned. God
1: provided a mark and spared his life. When God called Abraham out of the land that he lived, he was providing for him a way of safety. When God called the people of bondage out of Egypt, he provided them a way to escape. He called them his children. They were his chosen people. And on the heights of Mount Sinai, God gave them the law and instructions for Israel's salvation. And that law was complex. And that law was bleak. The essence of the law, if you will, required a yearly sacrifice of atonement. It took place on the tenth day of the seventh month. And it was there that day a high Sabbath in which no work should have been done. They were to have fast from the evening of the ninth to the evening of the tenth. And if you didn't do it, you were cut off from Israel. There were two goats, two kids, if you will, you know, goats, uh, uh, the young of goats. They were two goats that were used in this sacrifice that took place on the day of atonement the first goat was was slaughtered and its blood was applied to the mercy seat and also applied to the other goat the other goat was led out of the camp with the sins of Israel being symbolically placed on the back of that goat and someone had to lead that goat way out to the wilderness and leave it there so that the goat would never find its way back. It was a symbolic gesture that rolled ahead, rolled their sins forward a year. Basically, if you followed the law, of Moses that God gave him. If you did all of that, then, then you were going to be in a place of, uh, of salvation, but your salvation was not going to be complete until one day a perfect sacrifice, if you read the book of Hebrews, a perfect sacrifice, a more perfect sacrifice would come into place. It was, and, and I remember because we preached on the book of Hebrews a year or so ago and the best example I could give was I remember I wrote, I brought my book in. I don't know if you remember it, Brother Sponger, but I wrote you a million-dollar check out of my checkbook and I gave it to you because the point was is that all those in the Old Testament, everyone up until the cross, they were they, they had a check in their hand but they couldn't fully cash it. Until there was something to back that chip. And if Brother Sponsor would have cashed that check that day, I'd have been in a trouble. But hopefully, one day I could have uh, maybe put stuff in the bank account that I could have called Brother Sponsor and said, okay, you can cash that check now. The check of all mankind's salvation was going to be cashed on an old rugged cross where the blood of the spotless lamb would be shed. And that way we could have salvation. That more perfect sacrifice was all because there was a God became flesh. I preached all about that last week, so I can't I can't completely go into that again. But He became flesh. The Bible says that a spirit does not have flesh and blood, but yet the Bible also says that without the remission uh, or without the shed blood. There can be no remission of sins. And so if you're going to have your sins remitted, if you're going to have your salvation, there has to be blood that was shed. And the only way to have a perfect sacrifice is to have a perfect life lived. And man couldn't do it because Paul said it best when he wrote in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. David wrote these words, Psalms 51 and 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It was Isaiah that told us in the book of Isaiah 59. He says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. It's our sin, it's our shortcomings, our failures and our faults. It's a rebellion, if you will, that separates us from God. God's position to men never changes. I want you to understand that. I hope you can get it. I preached it last week. We've heard it other places, brother. Um, I believe it was brother Jonathan Hera even talked about it in the Prodigal Son. the The position of God ever changes. When when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God did not leave Adam and Eve. They had to leave. When the prodigal rebelled against Father and said, I can do it my way, Father was right there waiting all along. It was the the prodigal that left, and the same is true with you and I. By virtue and reason of our sin, we leave God. And so it is that this principle of separation between God and sin is there because we're born into sin that there must be a new birth that removes that separation from us. And so we begin to understand what is that salvation that's found in the Bible. Would you let me go as fast as I can for about two minutes? Verses, I don't even know if you can get them off. If you want them later, I'll give them to you. But first off, I want you to know that salvation, it's two parts. It's what God does, and it's what we do. There's a lot of people that like to just say, well, God's going to pour out his salvation on all of us. We're all good. Everything's going to be great. But, But I would like to remind you, while I am absolutely, positively convinced and understand that God is the only one that can give us that salvation, there is work that you and I must do. Let me read to you very fast a whole lot of verses. I want you to see how each verse Denotes an action on the part of the individual in order to be saved. So, James 21, receive the meekness of the crafted word. You got to receive the word of God. Proverbs 28, whosoever walketh uprightly shall be saved. You got to walk uprightly. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 50, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. That person's faith. Acts chapter 11, verse 14 Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all the house shall be saved? The emphasis is on the spoken word. John chapter 10, verse, And I am the door. And if any man in in, he it, and by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. You got to walk through the door and then uh first uh, peter 3:21 even baptism doth now save us the em- emphasis on their baptism acts 2:40 save yourselves from this untoward generation the emphasis is on their personal responsibility of salvation isaiah 45:22 look to me and be and you be saved that's you got to look to God. Acts chapter
0: sixteen, verse thirty-one: Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In that house, you got to believe. It's Ephesians two eight: For by grace are you saved through faith. It's Romans ten thirteen: Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see what we have to do. It's Titus chapter three and verse five: It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy. That he saved us. Matthew 10, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And Romans 8, 24, we are saved by hope. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's a lot of things that you and I have a part and parcel when it comes to our salvation. I read earlier that a a spirit does not have flesh and blood, and so God had to reveal his glory and his image in a man in order for there to be blood shed. It's why we celebrate Christmas. It's why we celebrate the Nativity. God incarnate. God manifested himself in flesh, born of a woman. He came down to earth so that one day we can go up to him. But watch this, if a spirit hath not flesh and blood, but yet our salvation requires the shedding of blood, there's another side to that. For 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50 says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so you have this beautiful picture of, the, of, of our heavenly Father becoming flesh, so that you and I could have a new birth. That would allow us to inherit heaven. And the only way you do it is to understand what Nicodemus asked of Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter or he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born and Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so the fact is, as Jesus became like us so that he could give us the ability to be born again like him, born of the water and of the Spirit. It was, it was this new birth that if you're not born of the water or born of the Spirit, the Bible says you cannot Enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what that born of the water, born of the spirit means. From the Bible, you and I, we have to realize and learn that salvation is absolutely useless if faith doesn't precede it. You can come down into this baptismal right back here and you can dunk yourself a hundred times. But if you don't believe that Jesus is the one that washes your sin away, all you're doing is getting wet. The first element of our salvation is we have to have faith. It is an absolute prerequisite to coming to God. But it's more than just a mental belief or a sin. The Bible teaches us that faith without works is dead. Let me read you a few verses. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And if you can't, I I told Brother Mike that I was going to be blowing and going because there's a lot of verses. So if you don't get them, you can ask me. I'll get you my notes. You're more than welcome to have them. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God It's Ephesians 1.3 In whom you also trusted And in whom also after you believed You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 And it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching To save them that believe Faith is the first step to salvation Why do I preach it? Why do I keep saying it over and over? Well, because I'm hoping somewhere in the foolishness of my preaching, somewhere someone would say, I believe what that Bible's talking about. I believe that He came to save me. I believe that He loves me with a love that's unknowable and unsearchable, and I want to be saved. Faith is the first step. Sometimes we get a little too quick to jump into the actions of salvation and we forget the faith. You can can teach somebody you must be born again, you must be baptized and you can go get them all hyped up and you can go baptize them in Jesus' name and that's an awesome thing but if their faith was not what propelled them into the water then their baptism was a little weak. I don't want you to baptize someone just because they want to get wet. I don't want to baptize someone to fill a a membership role. I want to baptize someone that can look me in the eye and say I've sinned and come short of the glory of God and I want these old sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb and so it's faith that precedes our salvation. But there is a second step that must happen. Long before someone's baptized, long before the power of God's Spirit inflows in them, and that is there must be repentance. The word repentance comes from the Greek word, and I know I can't pronounce it right, but metaneo. It means to change one's mind and purpose. It stresses a change for the better. It stresses someone that is amending their ways. It's a conscience decision to turn away from sin And turn toward God. Repentance is not, God, I'm sorry, I messed up.
1: And that's all. Those of you that have children, some of you that are still childlike. You ever done something and then you apologize but you really didn't mean it? Man, that's tight. I might preach on that a little bit. You 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 uh parents, you you get into it and start saying this is what's gonna happen, Yo, know, this is the punnet, and all of a sudden, man, they repent like crazy. They're on their knees, they're holding on to your ankles. mom, I'm so sorry, daddy, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please please, please, and If that's the only repentance you've ever done, then it's a little incomplete because repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. It's an element of it. But it's a sorrowful purpose that says not only am I sorry for what I've done, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I may not be able to make it all my own. I may not be able to change completely on my own. But I'm trying to make up my mind that that old life and that old man and that old son that I was, I don't want that anymore. That is 100% your responsibility. It is you and you alone that makes up your mind that I'm going to repent. Let me read you a few verses. Chapter 13 and verse 5. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse
0: 9, and this is a beautiful thing. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. That means patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. One verse says if you don't repent, you're going to perish. Another verse says I know you're going to perish if you don't repent, but I'm going to give you every chance I can to let you repent because I don't want you to die. What a God we serve. That's why you got to put verses together. Because one verse sounds kind of negative, and then the other verse says, but I'm going to do everything possible to give you a chance to repent because I don't want you to die lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. This is a verse that goes with what I was just talking about a minute ago. Now I rejoice, Paul said, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance for if you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation and and but the sorrow of the world worketh death so there's two kinds of sorrow in the world one of them will condemn you one of them will cause you to just give up one of them will cause you to say there's no hope but a godly so hard I shut my mic down. See, there has to be an admittance of guilt. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You've got to acknowledge that you need grace. You've got to confess that you've sinned, and it's not a confession you do to man. This is why, and I'm I'm not making fun, I'm not poking, but this is why I don't have a confessional here somewhere in the building, because the Bible teaches us, I don't want you to confess to me. In fact, to be honest, I really don't want to know about all your sin. Can I just be really honest? I don't need to know everything you've ever done. God forgives and forgets. This mind's real hard to do that. I could go a whole nother sermon just to tell you sometimes you need to just stay quiet about some things to your friends and family and relatives. Okay? But God wants to know. Confess your sins to him. And if you confess him, let me show you what Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. If you try to hide your sin, you're going to not prosper. But if you'll confess your sins, there's a God that will show you mercy. Let me show you this, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is in us. You're a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. One of the most beautiful things in the world is that you can kneel down in the presence of God. Not that you have to kneel, but that's just the visual picture. Kneel in the presence of God and you begin to confess your sins. And he's not standing up there with a notebook going, "Uh Uh-huh, that's what I thought. And he's starting writing you out of your will. That's why I said be careful how you talk to your friends and your family because we don't operate that way. You know the old saying, uh, what what is it, fool me once, shame on me. No, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, you know. Some of you operate like this. If you mess up and you fool me once, you're out, you're done. I, I don't even want to talk to you again. That's how some people operate. No chance, no second chance. We're just waiting. It's crazy. Humans, we we just long for the day that we can catch somebody doing something wrong. I'm not even saying sin. We just want to have that aha moment. See, I told you so. Some of you still got family that are waiting for you to just kind of mess up a little bit so they can say, "Uh uh-huh, I told you so. That's not my God. My God is saying just come on. All you got to do is repent and I'm right there waiting. I'm right there willing faithful just to forgive you of your sins. I'm just waiting for the day somebody will say I'm sorry for the way I've lived and I don't want to be this anymore and he's right there going I've been here all alone I've been waiting for you to say that I couldn't wait for letting my mercy my grace and my love be poured out on you. You thought you were going to find a heavy hand but instead you found a loving heart it's why Peter preached in the book of Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord Peter began to link repentance with a blotting repentance with a cleansing Which is why in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, one of the clearest pictures of our salvation, he said, uh, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I told you first that, that repentance is, I mean, yes, there's a forgiveness from God, but in reality, repentance is absolutely on us. But the next step is a combination of us and God. It's how our sins might be blotted out. It's how he might forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the baptism. And as we looked at the origin of the word repentance, let's also look at the same for the word baptism, the Greek word baptism. It comes from the Greek word baptismo or bapto. It means to immerse and submerge, to get fully wet. There's a whole reason for this. It's because that repentance has always been linked to death. It's a dying out of our flesh. It's a dying out of that old man. And baptism has always been linked to the burial. And so it is that we are buried with Him in baptism. And you go all the way under the water, submerged. And and in fact, I have in my notes, there's, there's three... Uh, uh, states to baptism, there's an immersion going into the water, a submerging going under the water, and an emerging, you come out of the water. Let's see what the Bible says about baptism, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, that sometimes we're disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein a few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Baptism is absolutely essential to salvation. You can't have one and not the other. You can't just have faith, there has to be faith that leads to repentance, that leads to baptism. Now watch Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. This verse is one of those verses that, if you're not careful, it just kind of hides in the word of God. But it's an absolutely powerful verse. Luke chapter 7, verse 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. That's John John the Baptist. But the Pharisees and the lawyers... Rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized by Him. Now, now, we're we're talking about the baptism that came before Calvary, and so that was John's baptism. Later on, Acts chapter nineteen, he finds Paul finds some of John the disciple or some, some of John's the Baptist disciples, and he says, "Have you been baptized?" And they said, "Well, we were baptized in John's baptism." And he lets them know that that now that we're post Calvary. There's a a greater thing that's coming. But watch this. If you decide, I don't want to be baptized, you're not rejecting Brandon's counsel. You're not rejecting the Lighthouse Church's counsel. The Bible says you reject the counsel of God. What that means is if you've chosen to be baptized, you're following his counsel. It's amazing what the Bible says. What is baptism for? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says it's for the remission of sins. Again, that Greek word, atheist, means a dismissal or release from sin. And that release from sin can only come by the blood shed on Calvary of Jesus Christ. Watch Revelation 1, 5. Remember, Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Watch it. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. It's Matthew 26, 28. Jesus said, For this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. There's something that happens. Baptism is more than just a physical act. If repentance is all us, Baptism starts with us, but it ends with Christ. You you make that decision somewhere in in our lives. We we make the decision. We say, "I want to be baptized." Okay, that's a physical decision. You came up with that. You said, "I want to be baptized," and 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 you you. Uh, You you tell somebody, you tell your family, you tell the pastor, you tell the preacher, you tell the one teaching a Bible study. Somewhere you said, I want to be baptized. And then you go in and here we got a little changing room right there and you you put on a baptismal robe. See, it's all you right there. You're going to go up these three or four steps and go down three or four steps and you stand in the water and it's still your decision. But when you are baptized, it's more than just a, a physical thing. That's when God steps in. And that baptism no longer is just something you do, but it's something God does. I can't really describe how it all works, but I do know this. You go down in the water with all of the weight of the sins of your entire life. But when you come up out of the water, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you've ever done is washed away. And I can't tell you how many times, Brother Perryman, you've been the same place, how many times you've stood over that baptismal tank and somebody's baptized. They come back up, and I've heard it time and time again. I'm clean. I'm free. I'm safe. I know something's changed. It's because you've done switched it from what you can do to what God can do. But see, if I want to... We, we, we just read some verses that says it's the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, which is why we have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 15, that they they came down, they prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Ghost. It was not yet fallen on any of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, to them or to him gave all the prophets witness that whoever, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Acts 19, Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, they should believe on him which would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 22, 16, why tarriest that arise and be baptized, wash away thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Don't you know the unrighteousness, unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived and then you go on it. The fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, mankind, thieves, covenants, drunkards, violators, extortioners. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That old bad list we just mentioned, that was my past. But here's the difference. I was washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. It's it's the reality of what Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 28, 19. Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the word. Jesus taught his disciples, he told them, he says, I want you to baptize in the name. Look at the way people were baptized in the Bible and I've already read most of these. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, that was for the Jews baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. The Samaritans, those half-Jew, half-Gentile, mixed breeds, if you will, in Acts chapter 18, verse 16, they were baptized, and it says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Jews were baptized in Jesus' name. The Samaritans were baptized in Jesus' name. The Gentiles, in Acts chapter 10, verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord And the Ephesians, which are still Gentiles, but we have them, the Ephesians, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's why Peter said it this way in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Because when you baptize in the name of Jesus, when you call that name of Jesus over the baptism, you are invoking the blood that he shed on Calvary. You are making sure you connect the washing of your sins with the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And you're saying, Jesus, your death was not in vain. Your death was so that my sins might be washed away. That baptism is starts with your decision. And it ends with God's presence, but there is a a, a a third or fourth. If you I started with faith, faith, uh, repentance, baptism, fourth is the infilling of His Spirit. It was prophesied all the way back into the prophet Joel, Joel chapter two and verse one. I mean, Joel chapter two, rather. He in in, in Acts chapter two and verse one is when. Peter begins to show how everything's going to fall and then he begins to preach what was in Joel. It was prophesied in Isaiah. It was prophesied in so many of those, those major, minor prophets. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was first felt and witnessed on the day of Pentecost. That when that day of Pentecost was fully come, And they were all there in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass, Acts 2, 16 through 18. In the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. It'll hit the sons and the daughters. It'll hit the young men and the old men. It'll hit the servants and the handmaids. I will pour out of my spirit. And then Acts chapter 2, Peter comes around, two We've already talked to repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then he ends, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You remember what we read at the very beginning, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so it is, this water, that's the baptism, and of the spirit, that's the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and both of those gives you access to that eternity in heaven. Paul expounds more why you need to receive it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, but you were not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if any man have not the Spirit of God, that man is none of his. What's the Holy Ghost? It, it, it's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. It, those, those words are interchangeable, but it's simple. It's the Spirit of Christ living in you. It gives you power to overcome sin. It gives you power to resist temptation. It's God making his residence in your life so that he can say that your body is the temple Of the Holy Ghost. It was a promise to you. Acts chapter 1 says, They were assembled together with him, and he commanded them, Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. John truly baptizes with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. They they started asking him questions about the end of the world, and he said, you don't have, that's not for you to know, that's not for you to know the times or the season. only the Father knows, but you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, that power to walk right, to live right that power to rise above sin, that power to realize the temptation of Satan and the temptation of sin and the lust of the flesh doesn't have to be the thing that walks you through life. You can walk in His power. And they were all filled that day. And when they were filled, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was the way that the Lord decided to make sure everyone knew whether they had received it or not. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was up there, part of that 120 in the upper room, and she spoke in tongues. The apostle Paul said, I'm glad I have spoken in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. The Ephesians that we talked about, they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 19, verse 6 and 7. When they laid their hands on him, on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they all spoke with tongues and prophesied. Remember I told you earlier that it was the Jews and the Gentiles and the Samaritans and the Ephesians. They all were baptized in Jesus' name. The same is true with those that received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And one of the beautiful pictures of this is Acts chapter 10, verse 44. It's the story of Cornelius, a Gentile. Someone that, according to the Jews, had no business being in the presence of God. Somebody that had no no hope, if you will, but God has always had a hope for everyone whosoever will. Peter was preaching Acts chapter 10 verse 44. The Bible says, while Peter yet spake these words, he was still preaching that the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, that's the Jews, uh, Peter rather, Peter had brought some friends with him to kind of watch what had happened. And those Jews which believed, they were astonished for as many as came with Peter, they, they, they were astonished because that upon the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God and then answered Peter can any man forbid them water that they should not be baptized those which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord There's something about that This salvation faith repentance Baptism The infilling of the Holy Ghost Faith We talked about that It really is It's all about you You just got to come to the understanding That that what the Bible says is true That's that's what faith is Repentance is Basically all in your court You're the one that's got to repent You're the one that's got to confess your sins You're the one that has to do it I can't do it for you God can't do it for you You've got to do it baptism it starts with you and then it ends with this beautiful remission of sins But I've noticed something in my life that a lot of people stop right there because they like to be in control and the Holy Ghost you don't really have a part in that at all it's a gift from God now he wants to give it to everyone. He says the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off. That, that, that every person that's ever walked the face of this earth and, 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 and sh- should have that ability. And, and we get that. It's not just something that's reserved for a few. It's for all. But in order to receive his spirit, you've got a holy surrender to him. And a lot of people, it's hard for them to do that. It's easy to say, I'm ready to go get baptized. I want to walk into the tub. I, I, I want to I want to get that baptismal certificate. It's my decision, and it is. But when you get to the place where you say, God, I, and it's what I preached Wednesday night. I don't want to just be clean and empty. I want to be clean and filled. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it's the humanity of that incarnation God manifest in the flesh. It's the humanity that had to die, be buried, and was later resurrected. That gospel that's the power. Without that, that's why I had to start with who God is and how He revealed Himself and how He, how He, He did all that. Because without that, our salvation has no power. But yet, it was Peter that said, or it was Jesus that said to Peter and all of them. He said, "You shall receive power." And then you hit the upper room and all of Acts two thirty-eight, and and that power. And and it's it's amazing. You know, we t- today when we get ready, here's another shameless plug. I need some help in a little bit. Two thirty got, what is that, three hours, so you, I'll be done here in a moment, and you can go get something to eat, and I need you back, 2.30. But I have a feeling somewhere, we're going to pull out a power tool, right, somewhere we're going to grab a power tool, it's going to have a, it's going to have a cord, now we call that a power cord, but that power cord is absolutely useless if it's not plugged in. I don't care how great that power tool is. I don't care how many horsepower or whatever you can call it. I don't care how many amps and and, and all of that 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 tool can have and torque. It's useless if it's not plugged in. And your salvation is absolutely useless if it's not plugged in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we started with who God is because it was God manifest in the flesh. It's God that revealed himself. It's God that became like you and I so that one day you and I could become like him. Acts 2.38 that's not the gospel that's your salvation your salvation plugs you into the gospel It's Acts 2.38 allows you to plug into the riches of salvation watch this Jesus died and we've got to be plugged into that death we have to in turn die we have to say some of the same words that the humanity that Jesus said not my will thine be done I promise you the humanity of Jesus Christ did not want to die on that cross he knew what was coming he knew the pain and the torture and the agony and that's why in the garden of Gethsemane he sweated great drops of blood but you've got to get to the place where you say Lord I don't want me living anymore if you will I don't want this old carnal fleshly nature living I, I got to repent who I am is not who I want to be and you plug into his death through your repentance and they laid Jesus in a tomb where he was buried the Bible says we are buried with him in baptism that's that second prong of the gospel that matches or of the salvation that matches his gospel but just as Jesus didn't stay buried in that tomb very long so you and I need to be raised in life again and that resurrection mirrors the infilling of the Holy Ghost where we rise a new creature in Christ Jesus all things passed away behold all things become new and so it is our salvation matches the gospel in our repentance we match his death in our baptism we match his burial and in the infilling of the Holy Ghost we match his resurrections Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism you joined in his death for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism but as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father so also we may live new lives that's what salvation is you gotta get it right because I started by saying that except a man be born of the water and the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven See, I'm trying to build a foundation that heaven is useless if you don't get God right. Your salvation is useless if you don't get God right. But heaven is useless if you don't get salvation right. So I think it's important that we realize who God is and why He loves us so. And how you and I can be partakers of that glorious salvation. So that we can get our eternity. I promise you. Heaven is real and hell is real. And there is no middle place. It's not like the VIP lounge somewhere where some people get to go to heaven and the rest of us, you know, we're okay. We just, just don't get that glorious thing. No. Only one, heaven or hell. And salvation is what gives us access to to that eternity of heaven. And the lack of salvation would be what puts us in that eternity of hell. You've got to make that calling and that election sure. I've preached the word of God today. I'm inviting you to stand. I preached the word of God today as best I can. I know it was fast. There's a lot I had to cover. If you want it, I can easily give it to you. You can give me your email address or If you need a hard copy, I'll gladly print it out. It's almost word for word what I preach today. But we're going to answer it biblically and nothing more. So now today, the ball is in your court. Where are you at? Do you need to just believe? Is that the first step? You need to realize there's a God that loves you, a God that became flesh so that he could die the humanity blood shed do you just need to believe that's the first step do you need to repent do you need to be baptized in Jesus name we've got water ready we've got baptismal robes ready or do you need to just surrender and let him fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost The only way that I know to describe that because it's how it worked for me and how I've seen my kids be filled with the Holy Ghost and so many others. The Bible says He inhabits the praises of His people. If you're here today and you want the gift of the Holy Ghost, I want to encourage you to make sure you fill those other steps out, especially the faith and the repentance. Baptism and the Holy Ghost in the Bible came different times. Some were baptized and then received the Holy Ghost. Others received the Holy Ghost and were baptized. But I will tell you, if you'll make sure you believe and that you have your faith and that you've repented of your sins, then I want to invite you to begin to lift your hands and begin to let yourself get lost in the worship of one that loves you more than you could ever imagine. And as you begin to lift up the name of Jesus and you begin to worship Him and you begin to thank Him, the Holy Ghost is here right now. The presence of God is here. I wonder if we could just all begin to extend our hands and could we hallow this place and let it turn into a place where God is free to move. Would you make sure whatever step you're at, you need to do that step and move forward. In the mighty name of Jesus, as they begin to sing, as they begin to play, I open altars, I hallow this ground, would you begin to call out to him? I want to make sure my salvation's right.